Well, hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Theological Arsonist. I'm your host, Jonah Saller, um, and today I have a special guest. Uh, his name is Sam Frost. He wrote this excellent little book called The Parousia of the Son of Man. And he also wrote this other book called Daniel Unplugged. Um, this, this is a fantastic commentary on the book of Daniel. Um, I highly recommend it, and we'll have links to both of these, these works uh, below in the description um, but before we get into our topic, which is going to be focusing on the parousia and basically what does that word mean, how is it used in scripture, and how should we approach the topic in general, um, Sam, would you just be able to give a brief introduction about yourself? Uh, well, I love God. <laughs> uh, been in church basically all of my life, uh, working with a wonderful pastor, Presbyterian church. Uh, right now, um, try to spend most of my time with either between my wife and or reading and, and researching, studying and that kind of stuff. Um, I'm not really good at talking about myself. <laughs> so, uh, right now, you know, we're uh, finishing up on a doctorate, actually, uh, after about a year and a half um, working on that kind of stuff. And uh, just very enthused with the feedback that I'm that I'm getting um, from both the Daniel book and uh, the Pharisee in the in the Son of Man that um, really opened up. And that's that's a that book came out of um, as you know I was in the full preterist stuff for a very long time and coming out of that because I'm always you're in you're in uh, at Moody right. so. Uh, in being 54 and then doing this for 30 years, you you morph you you morph these views and you kind of chuck out what's what's not good and, and you keep the and so this core as you get older, I'm finding and I'm I'm getting older. I still have an 18 year old heart, I think. It's, <laughs> yeah, but so there's a lot of changes that 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 goes on and, and sometimes I've been criticized on you know that I changed my mind or, or this that and the other. There's you know, if I'm going back and forth from Jehovah's Witnesses to a Mormon, and then I'm a Scientologist, and then I'm this, and that, that I could see the point. But in but in theology, and most of the peers or colleagues I've talked to, um, you do go through that those those changings and dynamics. If I look back 20 years ago, what I believed, or six years ago, what I believed, and that's not that Jesus Christ is Lord and He is the ruler and King of the earth, and the you know those are the core core things that just stay intact and actually get stronger as these other things uh you think that you uh have it when you come out of bible college i was you know stage cage calvinist i had to make everybody a calvinist um and then again as you get older it just some of those things drop or some of the intensity of it drops i don't i i guess they they say it's wisdom or something like that i don't sure <laughs> you, you know um, but yeah, that, that's what this book arose out of just being through go, being raised in a dispensationalist background, um, carrying around a Schofield Bible when I was you know, nine, 10, 11 years old and, you know, Hal Lindsey and all of that. And then Bible college introduced me to amillennial, postmillennial and all of this bunch of other world that I had no idea existed, but that's what college was for. And in that getting involved with a preteristic, historical preteristic uh, schools that were that were out there, 
um, coming to understand 70 AD and Josephus, and you start reading all you know, Second Temple Judaism and first century uh, studies and all of that. And I loved all of that. And with, preter with full preterism, I came in, I tried to come in as academic as possible, trying to fuse together all of these types of things and then work my way out of it, again, with the help of, of a lot of people, uh, namely Dr. Uh, Kenneth Talbot of Whitfield Seminary, um, who just really hung in there with me. So coming out on the other side and looking at it saying, you know, I didn't become a preterist, full preterist, you know, because I'm stupid. There was a connection there. there there's good questions that's being raised, particularly in eschatology, and particularly if you go through uh, Moltmann or Oscar Coleman or C.H. Dodd or Albert Schweitzer, and you really, you know, spend time, uh, you know, devouring like Rudolf Boltmann and what he's doing. And Boltmann's not an idiot either. He, these guys are high caliber, high caliber scholars. And a lot of what they say is very good. Um, and then they go off into this you know, <laughs> other, right. other kind of thing, which I'm orthodox. I believe in the inerrancy of scripture. I, I, I you know, I'm a Bible thumping fundamentalist. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's how I describe myself. I believe the Bible. I believe what it says. So I would, I, I never veered off of that, but yet reading a lot of academia, a lot of scholarship, a lot of that kind of liberal kind of stuff, because again, they're, these are top notch guys, right? Especially with text and language and things like that. So that's where this book at a, those decades, that's where this came out of. Because I thought, you know, boy, there's something really going on there. Um, and I think that there's room. I hope maybe you could say something that there's within the evangelical scholarship, there's room here, especially with eschatology, because it's just right. such a huge, huge right. time. You know? Right. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. Well, that, that was great. I, I, I can, I can relate on a little bit of a. Uh, a smaller level because maybe I want to say like two and a half, three years ago, I was a, an Arminian ish dispensationalist and I, I, I started, yeah, right. <laughs> I started reading all this stuff and it was like assimilating all these pieces together. And I've kind of come out the other side now where if somebody asked me like, are you a Calvinist or are you the, I don't, I don't really like, the labels too much anymore because to me when, when you prioritize systematic theology over just biblical theology you end up forcing yourself to to stick into a framework where if scripture seems to be leading somewhere else you can't you can't go there without abandoning the framework and i think sometimes people are so attached to these labels they have a hard time actually engaging in true biblical theology because of that so uh yeah i, I appreciate the the um I've the ability to kind of look of off of yeah you throw up dispensational so you just see things dispensational or right. pentecostal of course i grew up in four square church sure. and then okay. college opened that up and then you know calvin i'm reformed i'm counting so i'm just reading reformed i'm just that's it i'm not reading anything right and it, it you know it's i i guess now too i don't uh, you know arminians are you know, going to hell and all this bunch of stuff. You know, it, you broaden a bit yeah. to where you can see the other side of the argument, and, and unless you're saying something like Joseph Smith, 
Sure. Yeah. <laughs> You're just so far out right. of left field. I'm going to have dialogue with you and treat you as a, as a brother because I'm, I'm not going to, you know, unless you're this, 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 and this and meet this criteria that, right. you know, it, I, I find that I have far more richer relationships and conversations with that, with that more broad, uh, broad approach towards things. Yeah. You know, makes, makes life a little easier. Fully agree. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, to, to kind of start getting into the, the topic at hand a bit, um, the word parousia used throughout scripture is oftentimes in the mind of most evangelicals. They parousia is the second coming of Christ period, end of story. And so with such a narrow view um, of that word and its usage in many people's minds, how, how, how do you define it? How is it used in scripture? Kind of just an introduction to the word itself. Well, in the book, I go through, I start with that. Um, it's a, it's an ordinary word. It's, it's not, uh, it can be used technically, but it also is used. Uh, I was reading uh, the Greek of the, uh, Enneads of, of Plotinus and he uses it a few times, just, you know, his presence, it's just a presence. Um, and so noting that going through the lexical, uh, work, seeing all these occurrences, um, how it was used, it's even used a couple of times in the Septuagint. And, um, Josephus uses it, it's so it just means presence. Um, that's it's a noun, and breaking it apart, it's it's parausia, so it's it's a compound, what we would call a compound uh, word alongside of or present. It's, it's if I'm alongside of you, I'm present. So the the verb is paraining, so I. You know, if you go to a lexicon like Scott uh, Little and Scott or somebody, uh, they'll put right next to a uh, parami. So that's the verb form. I am here. Right. Well, I am. I am present. There's and so and then there's uh, there's many ways to express. I, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, uh, Daniel Wallace Greek and, and, and all of that. A little bit, yeah. Wallace, Wallace shows this. He gives this wonderful. Uh, lecture where he shows one sentence in Greek and then he shows 25 different ways you can write that sentence. Sure. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's a wonderful thing. I'm like, yeah, see, that's so you can say Urkomai, Parini, Ego, Parus, you can do all kinds of, of things to denote presence. Right. And the connection I made with, with Matthew particularly um, was his. His drawing, it seems like, on Daniel 7.13, that was the connection I was beginning to make. And that passage, to me, increasingly with, with other a lot of other scholars, is seen as ascension. That was his ascension or his presence before the Lord right. to receive all glory, power, honor, and might. And I think that's what the disciples are asking. When are you going to do this? He, it's interesting. He gives a, a preview, that Mount of Transfiguration. And then, of course, Peter writes, we saw his witness of his parousia and power on the yeah. mountain yeah uh, and that connection to me is like wait a minute something's, something's parousia is not a one tiny event kind of thing it's a, it's a presence of so now the the question is is where is he present right and that's he's present in the clouds before the father that is in heaven ruling and reigning invisibly it's hidden it, you can't see it yet um that's why I like in Second Thessalonians where Paul talks about the, the manifestation of his presence. That's a loaded phrase. 
Sure. Uh, yeah. His presence is with us, but it's not manifest. Right. Right. So we're still in that, you know, you and I speak of, of, of church life and worship. I know that you're involved with worship. So and yeah. I love worship and hymns and the songs and all of that kind of stuff. And you want to invoke the presence of the Lord and you imagine, you know, the angel and you're joined in and, and it's a biblical imagination because of, of what scripture says. Yeah. But yet you and I know that the difference is, is that if, if God manifested like Ezekiel, his presence in our, little church congregation over here we wouldn't even be able to stand up right you know (laughs) which but yet that's there that the the presence is is there and right the book of revelation the letters to the churches i never caught it before where he says i walk in the midst of the candlesticks which are the congregations and then he's talking about the details of these congregations that, that how does he know all of this that's going on because he's in the midst he's present that i i come quickly what does he do? He, he uh, creates problems. If you don't repent, then he removes and takes and kills and does sharp two-edged sword. And I'm like, that's a very present presence right. of Christ by the Holy Spirit. And I think that's more of what's going on there. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. No, that, I know that, that, that is a real sense. different way of looking at it. Right, right. Yeah, one of the, one of the most... Uh, maybe profound things for me was recognizing that in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24, the disciples in their questions, they ask what the sign of his presence will be. And sometimes I think you just jump over that. I've even heard people quoted as when will be your coming or and the end of the age where they'll skip over the whole sign thing. But what's really interesting about that is, as you noted in your book, Jesus is already present with the disciples. So why are, why would they be asking for a sign of his presence unless he was soon going to be absent from them and they would then be looking for a sign? It just, it all of a sudden went, oh my goodness. And then you go yeah. to Daniel seven and you see the son of man who is made present before the ancient of days and the pieces start being put together. So could you, could, could we just go to Matthew 24 and just kind of talk about that I think that that's a really important thing and I think it solves a lot of problems because um when I first started to uh, um study uh post-millennialism and preterism and all these different things I do have to say there was a strong appeal to the full preterist position for a time oh, yeah. it, it's it's it, it, if you're operating under a, a dispensationalist all or nothing approach right right um, then it's very easy. Just all you got to do is make a couple of shifts, um, right. and 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 still remain in that inerrancy of Scripture. You know, you're still remaining in all of those types of, of right. thing. Um, so yeah, it's not that it's not a, right. a difficult leap. But the 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 thrust there into that for me was the fact that most of the partial preterists that I came across when speaking about the coming of Christ, they would reference it to be his coming in judgment on Jerusalem or things like that. And to me, the language just, it it did not, it didn't seem like, it seemed like they were, they were trying to say there's a second coming, but there's also a coming spiritually here, but we're not going to go to the full extent of the full preterist and the full preterist seemed more consistent to me. They they, They are more consistent. 
but your exposition of Matthew 24 really makes sense directionally of what's taking place. This is not about the second coming, nor is it about uh, coming in judgment on Jerusalem. It's about his coming before the Father in heaven and that being manifested and visible um, through judgment, through salvation, through these different things. And so um, I, I just, I think it really, it really solves a whole lot of problems. So maybe if we could start with just the disciples questions and kind of in your estimation, how to break them down and how we can kind of look at this. Well, he's, you know, telling after he just, uh, what would have been a jaw dropping moment of listening to him just grill the leadership there, which must have been uh, very tense. If I was a dis- listening, I'd have been like, you, you've been in conversations where you <laughs> like, oh boy, you really don't want to, you know, let's not go there. Right. You know, religion and politics, because this is going to disrupt the entire Thanksgiving meal here. It's, <laughs> you know, and that's the tension that they must have, you know, come out of there and, and uh, you will not see the son of man until um, you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And there's a nice little bracket there of Psalm, of Psalm 118 in the right. beginning entrance. And then he ends it there and then comes out uh, of the temple and then announces, and they're going on about how great it is, which it was, it's a marvelous structure. It must've been just a, just a marvelous thing to look at. And he just kind of nonchalantly still probably in the mood of, of what he's just, you know, denounced and says not one stone will be left upon another and that to me was a shocking a shocking statement and the the jews you know they treat it as blasphemy they actually bring that up in the trial and then stephen they bring it up and he says he's going to destroy the the temple that jesus is going to destroy the temple which is not technically what jesus says he just says not one stone will be left here upon another right um now, if they were if they were thinking Daniel in a prophecy and how some people try to see Daniel uh, nine as referring to 70 AD, then they would have been like, yeah, what's the problem? That's what Daniel said. It's going to happen. So there's no, but this was a shocking, shocking statement uh, to them. And so they're asking in that context of, of after you just denounced everybody, but the buildings are still you're you're going to I mean, you're you're still involved in this aren't the, the whole Israel thing. And then he says, it's after he says Matthew 23, then he says, well, this is all going to be destroyed. Right. And that they, they're quiet. They go down, you know, out the east and then through the Kidron. And they would come up on the Mount of Olives while walking, probably in just in dead silence. Yeah. And then I imagine them talking to each other, like, who's going to ask? You go ask. You go. <laughs> you go ask. <laughs> right. Right. They, they come up and ask um you know when 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 is this going to happen and what they're asking there and i think i can pretty much argue along with other scholars in second temple judaism they're asking for the eschaton that's that's what they're asking um because if you said that you're going this is all going to come down that's that's end of the world kind of stuff that's an that would that would take an amazing amount of power to, right. to demolish all of this that that's we're not talking about a little riot right or a skirmish or some type of i mean we're talking about a, a demolition a demolition here 
that requires the power of God kind of stuff. And so they're asking that. And then what is the sign of what is the sign of your presence? Because Jesus had been talking to them about going away and, and I have to be killed and I'll be raised again on the third day. Matthew's already prefacing, uh, right. prefacing that kind of stuff. So it's kind of building up to this Matthew, Matthew 24. So they're right in mind asking what, what will be the sign of your, of your presence? Because he won't be, he's, he would have to go away to come back in a great cloud of glory to accomplish this this massive destruction. That's what's expected. Right. We've seen this in Luke, where they wanted to seize him and take him and thought immediately the kingdom of God is going to come as he's writing in, you know, fulfilling Zechariah. And it's, right. it's, it's here to happen. It just doesn't. I think it does, but not in the way they're expecting. So when they ask that question, what's the sign of your presence yeah it struck me as odd because he's standing presently right there in front of him so there has to be that kind of of understanding and then jesus's immediate response uh to that is don't be deceived mm. which if you're present with me i'm not and then beware of false christ now if jesus is walking with me it's not i just say well you're not the Christ. he's right, right. here you're right yeah See, that sets that all up. So why would he even be saying all of this if I'm that if I'm if I'm going to be left in the world where I don't have I can't point to him. And now I've got to rely on my wit and I've got to rely on scripture and I've got to rely on my my faithfulness to reading the scriptures and understanding everything that's, that's going on. So I'm not deceived by these other Christ and all these other Christ's are earthly manifestations he's over here he's over there you can point to it but jesus you can't point to see he's he's up he's up there they know where he's at and this is why again and you see in reading uh, paul's letters just it's almost nonchalant with them but he says you know set your mind on these things where he is above at the right hand of the father right that's the that's the charisma there. That's the message that Jesus has been raised from the dead and he's at the right hand of the Father, having received all power, glory, honor, might, and nations to rule over and a kingdom. He's received a kingdom. That's that's his, that's the believers. And he's going to manifest this kingdom in the last day. Heaven and earth will pass away. He affirms that. Right. And here, here's where the full preterist. Well, I we, we used to say heaven and earth was symbolic or something sure, represented yeah. the temple. And yeah, I bought into that for a few years until I it, I was like, boy, this is just not working. And I know you noted that and I, a couple of partial preterists actually do that. Right. Um, that yeah. that's the falling of heaven and earth. And I'm like, that doesn't work. Right. Yeah. The end of the age becomes the end of the mosaic age and the, yeah. the temple age. Now you're making age. stuff up. Right, right. And so I noticed in that preface, he starts off with this um, Matthew 24, don't be deceived. And then he describes what is typical description of earthquakes, famines, plagues, pangs of childbirth, you know, women and uh, woman in travail. That's that's typical. Uh, language of, of tribulation, distress, affliction. And he says the, the way that this is prefaced, all these things, you know, all these things. And so that becomes all these things that 
that little marker there becomes the what all these things are. It's right. know, earthquake, persecution, hatred. All of these things are going to um, characterize while I'm at the right hand of the father ruling and reigning. This is going to characterize life. The end is not yet. And for me, the end is not yet. That became like the, the main thing to read the rest of the right. Whatever Jerusalem is, it's not the end. Right. Um, whatever earthquakes you experience are, it's, that's the end is not yet. Right. It's, almost. He, he almost understands their question to be oh, taking yes. the temple and the eschaton and saying, this is all one thing. And he's saying, when you see this, right, recognize right, right, right. the end is not, is not yet. There's, there's, that's Absolutely. still to come. Yeah. Absolutely. And they, they understood that. Um, and I think that that makes a, he, he states it right in the beginning. So that becomes the controlling way to read when you see Jerusalem. Um, and it's interesting there. And I, I didn't uh, discover discover this um of the 13 times that matthew's formula of such and such was to fulfill such and such and then he quotes the prophet and he follows this formula except here here he doesn't uh, mm -hmm. spoken of by daniel but he leaves off in order to fulfill because i don't think i i think that the abomination of desolation they would have understood that as uh antiochus epiphanes right in the, uh, the in the second century there, they would have known what that was. Him referencing it again and saying that's going to happen again. That would have, that's the shocker. That's here. He's operating as a prophet. He's not simply repeating what Daniel said a long time ago is going to happen. That's not prophetic. Right. Right. What he's doing is, is this is going to happen. And now you've got to take him at your word and a bit of a risk there. There's right. a bit of a risk because um, he's saying some, he's saying a fresh word here and he is carving out a eschatology here that yes, I am the King. Yes, I am ascending. I am on the clouds of heaven before the father of the ancient of days at the end of Matthew, all power in heaven has been given to, given to me. That's unmistakable. Daniel seven fourteen. Yeah. At the very end of Matthew, um, the son of man has all these things are mine with the angels in power having reward in my hands, ready to reward all of this divinity kind of, of thing that's going on, but the end is not yet. And that's that, that creates that tension that so many theologians talk about that, that, that tension, you know, right. <laughs> just like, but is it not the same tension of Yahweh, same descriptions. And now all authority and power, the father has given to the son. Right. Well, what does that look like? Well, read your Old Testament. God ruled. He reigned over the nations. This unmistakable Daniel and, and Isaiah. It's invisible. You can't see it. But you have to have faith. And that's and it, I think Jesus leaves us in that same thing. So Paul is able to write. These things in the scriptures were written for our examples. Right. And that destroys Markianism right there. Yeah. <laughs> just blows it's it out of the water. You know? yeah. And I read the Old Testament now more than, than I do anything. I just, you know, I just, I'm, and I'm like, yeah, that's uh, my mom, you know, not a theologian or anything, but she, we were studying one night and she said this, just the most amazing thing about a year ago. It just really shot through. She goes, you know, 
we're still living in Bible times. <laughs> I said, that's amazing. I said, yeah. that's a profound thing. But yes, the problems they had are the problems we have right. uh, politically and, and, and all the things. But so now seeing it this way allow, really allowed the entire Bible. I can go anywhere and bear witness to Jonah. Yeah, Jonah makes sense. Um, I don't want leftist liberals to be saved. I want you to destroy them after 40 days. I want you to rain down clouds on the pro-abortion, rain down the cloud. I, these Assyrians, these filthy, filthy Assyrians. Yeah, I can identify with them. Yeah, <laughs> you know? right, right. And God's saying, hey, I'm, I'm merciful. Hmm. I, know, I know you are. I know you are. That's, yeah. See, uh, it, it, because, but yet you see the cross. You know, this, it, this, and it just, it stops you in your tracks when you are ready to judge and pounce. Uh, it's like the Holy Spirit is saying, don't be, be careful here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I'm like, oh, I want to judge. I want to tear to shreds and judge. That's what I want to do. Right. Yeah. It, it is amazing, though. That, that That's so true. I, I think that, you know, there really has been a, a disconnect for so many people between the old Testament and where, I mean, I, I grew up and I, I think that this does maybe come out more in a dispensational framework, but because, you know, things are, 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 are um, differentiated and there's really not a lot of continuity between the two testaments, you end up reading these old Testament stories as really grandiose myth in many ways, you know, and, and it's just, okay, there was a flood. Okay, the, the part in the Red Sea, walk through and take them to the promised land. Okay, what does that, what does that mean? But when you start to recognize, like, these things are actually still going on today. There's still a struggle. We're still in an exodus. We're still going to the, you know, waiting to go to the promised land. All these things, like, you start to recognize that, you know, history and the way that God works really doesn't change and just like you said, like Christ is reigning, but his reign is invisible just as Yahweh was reigning and his reign was un invisible to the Israelites. But you see it manifest um, in different ways. Uh, you see miraculous judgments on the enemies of Israel. You see miraculous judgments in the New Testament as well under Christ and, and his, the manifestation of his reign. So when you start recognizing that, um, there, there's, there's no longer this the parousia as you say really becomes a an ongoing and present reality rather than either it took place here in the first century or it's going to take place here sometime in the future it becomes and incorporates the entire era that we're living in it really um i think brings a greater um a greater intensity to the presence of christ in in day-to-day -day life my whole way of looking at it, it's changed um it's changed a lot. It, it, it's, 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 it's my, it's, I don't know. It's more conscience of the Lord. You're just more conscious, you know, right. that maybe some of these guys, you know, practicing the presence of Christ and Thomas on campus, and you read all this kind of stuff. And, yeah. Um, that maybe they were, you know, understanding this presence, you know, the Lord is present. So you kind of watch what you're, what you're doing. And I'm by no stretch of the imagination. It also highlights it also highlights how uh, far away in terms of Christ, the, the man 
and how he walked with the Lord uh, and not missing a beat, a jot or a tittle right. in thought, word and deed and how far I am from that and thinking, but there's that measure of grace and see that's, I'm still in this flesh. And so now I read the Psalms and I'm able to counsel with this. Um, a couple of people were just so frustrated. They were coming to me and frustrated with church. They're frustrated with that. And I said, yeah, let's read some Psalms. Well, that was Old Testament. You know, David should be filled with. See, that's David had the Holy Spirit. David had all of these. He has everything that you and I have. And yet he's still writing. God, where are you? How long are the enemies going to try? And now I can read right into that and understand right. how he encourages himself. Because and here's that hope of that manifestation of new heavens, of new earth, resurrection. I think Paul's consumed with this. Yeah, I think he writes often from the perspective of it of consummation. That's why he can write that you're a new creature, as if it's like done. Right. And yet he can come back, and you know, with Greek, he can use an aorist tense, present tense, or a future tense. And Paul's Greek. I, there's a couple of works I'm going through right now about. Um, these Greek scholars are wrestling with Paul's Greek. And as, as you probably know, um, for Greek classicists, you know, guys that are trained in classical Greek, then they come and they read the New Testament. They're like, well, <laughs> <laughs> this Greek is not following right. grammar at all. It's, he's all over, all the, over the place. place yeah. yeah. And that's, you know, he's not using the aorist tense correctly. He's not using the present. Well, that's because there's all these dynamics going on and particularly right. faith which grabs hold of the future and brings it, you know, by faith. It's a hope that you see right. and consummate. And I think that I think for Paul, when he saw Christ and had a conversation with Jesus of Nazareth, who 18 months ago, he thought was dead. I think that that was it. He's right. only God could do this. He must be Messiah, which means we've not entirely been reading our scriptures correctly. Yeah. You know, it goes out for three years and particularly Daniel. Again, I, I the more I read like with Tom Wright and, and several others, the more they're seeing Daniel in, yeah. in the new Testament is, is that Daniel seven thirteen and 14 Psalm one ten, Psalm two yeah. uh, Psalm eight. These are these controlling Psalms that are informing particularly revelation, which is bracketed with Psalm 110, Psalm uh, 2, it quotes Psalm 2. Right. Uh, Daniel 7, 13, 14 is referenced throughout. You can't yeah. fail to miss it. And I saw one son of man who's sitting on a cloud of heaven and he has a, a reaper's, um, you know, uh, handle yeah. in, his, in his hand and he's right. That's Daniel 7, 13. That's an ongoing thing he's seeing. What's Jesus doing right now? He's on the clouds of heaven. Right. That's what we're doing. He's ruling and he's reigning and he's walking in the midst by the spirit through our congregations. And he doesn't like everything that he sees. And sometimes he kills people. Yeah. It says that. Right. And that scares me. That's, yeah. that, that's like, Ooh, right. um, man. Right. Yeah. It's almost, it's almost when you place this, like, it's either here in the first century or it's at the end of history. You almost become deists in a way, right? You almost have this idea that God right now is just yes. far off and disconnected and we're just waiting for him to show up. And it's like, my goodness, I, I have to say that like, um, so I, I'm an Anglican and I have, oh, uh, 
a high, a very high sacramentology. And this, this eschatology has deeply affected the way that I partake of the Eucharist. Because to me, the Eucharist, oh, is, right? Jesus is saying, <laughs> "My parousia is right." Like that, that's ultimately what's taking place, and I am ever present to you. And so, there's just something so remarkable about being able to partake of the 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 bread and the wine and recognize that what's being conveyed there is truly that Jesus Christ is truly present, right? And, and that he has come before the Father, and he is currently reigning. And he is manifesting that presence to his church, nourishing his church, sustaining his church. And yeah, it, it worshiping. See, right now, I want to like, yeah. go to church. You know? Yeah, me too, me too. <laughs> because it's, uh, I uh, forget the, uh, I can send you the link. If you remind me, I forget the, the scholar's name. Again, just you'll notice studying if you just make a little slight turn in a text, it just changes the entire thing. So usually I read uh, you do uh, show forth the Lord's death until until the Lord's come. Right. So you think uh, we do the the thimble and the grape juice and, we, you know, we do this until the second coming. Because the next thing he says is that's why some of you are weak and dead and this, that, and the other. That's strong stuff. If you look at it from the standpoint of Jesus, who's in the midst and his presence, and we participate in this until the Lord comes in the midst of our congregation, because that's what he's doing. Right. And what is, I'm searching. What, is, what does he say in Revelation 3? Right. I'm, I search the hearts and, and the minds. You're not just drinking a thimble and right. you're being searched right now. Right. Why else would Paul in first Corinthians 11 say <laughs> oh, some of you are dying, right? Like, and I don't why, like what why, I'm finding and I'm going right. to, I'm, I'm going to strike a couple right. of them here. Don't straighten your act up because I know what you're doing and I know who you're lusting after. Right. I, so I And I don't like, it. right. And I'm going to, and I'm going to deal with Right. That's, where, two are, where two or more are gathered, I am there in the midst of them. That doesn't yeah. just mean where two or more are, are praying and where two where two and more are gathered and sinning, right? And Jesus is walking amongst you and he's watching you and he's and he's ready to judge. Like it, it's 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 an amazing it, it, it there to recognize that right now we have accountability with Christ because he walks in the midst man. of us is amazing. Right. And I gave a lecture one we I, it was just us. Uh, we were in this gathering and there was like you know, eight people. And we were talking like this, just to see up. And I noticed that the questions and the, the, the interaction was getting more intense and everything. And tear, you know, it was getting like it's like Christ is in. And I said, Do you do you see what we're doing here? There's no bells, there's no whistles, there's no entertainment and guitars and drums and fanfare and smoke machines and, 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 and titillation and all that. We're talking theology and it's erupting in worship. Mm, and yeah. all we're doing is talking yeah. because it, I said, that's, that's what it is. It's in liturgy conveys that, but if you have liturgy and the theology behind it with the meaningful dialogue of what this, what we're doing, right. I'm not going to have to tell people to be reverent in church or be quiet and or respect the fact that you're entering into the sanctuary. Show some reverence. I, I won't have to do that because it's it's right. this is what we're doing. We're entering. Be silent before me and know that I'm God. 
Right. Prepare yeah. your hearts to hear the word. Prepare your hearts. Um, I like doors that are closed in the sanctuary. If you want to talk and do all your funny business and everything and have that out in the foyer or something. But when you enter into where the pews and the gathering and the tables at, your attitude changes. Right. Yeah. And that to me is, is that's real, that's serious stuff. And we just treat it so flippantly. Um, and yeah. God is a God of grace. So yes. please hear me. I'm not saying, um, it, you know, you don't want to judge other people that you, that I would say it's just treated so flippantly, but you know what I'm, what I'm trying yeah. to say. I, I do. Yeah. Yeah. When, when you under, when you understand the, the why behind what you're doing, it really does. It, it, it changes everything. It changes the way that you approach worship. It changes the way that you approach God. I mean, I was, as an Anglican, like there are sometimes people will say, you know, why do you need all that, you know, fancy stuff and all these little ornate things. And it's like, well, when you understand what these things are communicating, right. What, what, what they're conveying, like, for example, why in the world would a priest face away from everybody? Why, why, why would he not face towards everybody? Well, because the, the priest is not the host of the table. <laughs> He's I'm facing not the center with of I'm not right. the center of entertainment. Yeah. Right. He's facing with the people towards Christ, who is the host, right? That's, that's what's being conveyed in just that simple directional shift, right? So there's all these different things. And man, I, I've, I've spent great deal of time just weeping over the the beauty and truth that that's found in in liturgy and in worship and just recognizing that you know these are the the free and gracious gifts that god has given us he doesn't need them he's given it to us so that we can enjoy him because he knows us he knows what we need he knows how we're gonna you you get you get back to that i mentioned markianism so you get back to that god's presence was there with moses and yet they still had all this liturgy and everything going on. God didn't get rid of, of all that because everything's spiritual now. Right. And so we don't need all that because it's all spiritual. But if we're, if what we're saying is that this continuum is still there. Right. Then the liturgy and the and conveyance of what it meant, because David, who was filled with the spirit, he still participated, but he knew what it meant. Right. He knew that the uh, rings that are in the table that they carry and all that were not in and of themselves intrinsically the power of god was but he knew this is what conveys the higher message right so it's using us both and and particularly after the reformation you just had this iconoclasm that was just ridding everything and i i this was an overreaction to the if it if it had the word calf and right. get rid of it because right. it's Catholic. Right. And so we just, we got so anti anything that I, you know, I've been in churches of Christ where there's just not a, there's no thing like nothing. Right. Just right. Used in a pulpit and that's it. Right. And right. that to me is sad. That, that, yeah. it, that's, that's just not, yeah. you're just, you're just missing. So, well, it's all spiritual. Right. And Christ but leading it. It's almost right. It's almost a Gnostic idea, right? The the a disconnect between the the physical and the spiritual. You know, where we we're deep, we're making things not beautiful because this world it's it's all it's all corruptible and all this. And it's like the incarnation is God saying very loudly, "This world is redeemable." God becoming flesh, right? 
And so to me, the, the, the beautiful things that he's given us, they, they have a sacramental reality. The physical is not in and of itself worthy of worship and pray. I'm not worshiping bread and wine, but I'm worshiping oh, oh, oh. Christ who conveys himself through that, those means. Baptism, water doesn't save anybody, but the water is, is given to us by God to express the washing of regeneration. And so there's, these, these, there, there's a correspondence there in the same way that Christ's human can be human and divine at the same time. I, I don't know how, but I recognize that there's a continuity there that, that transfers into, into the, the way that we, we worship as well. Well, we, know, we noticed at the end of, of um, Matthew, who's the only one that uses this phrase, end of the age. He's the only one. Yeah. Heresia, he's the only one that uses, uses that. Um, all power and authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. And then he ends that with that nice little bracket. I am, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. So they now know that what is the end of the age? He answers the question, heaven and earth will pass away. But of that day, and that's anaphoric, that's what day, when heaven and earth pass away. What, what you're asking, you're asking when's heaven and earth and new heavens do I'm with you until the end of the age, and that day will come, but no man knows that day or the hour. And that's the end. That's that's what's bracketed off with uh, World War II or World War One or the War of the Jews from you know 66 to 73, and then later 135. Um, that because history continues. Right. It keeps when the end comes. There's we're not going to be scratching our heads debating. Do you think that was the end? Right. <laughs> That's it. Right. The end, the end is here. So I am with you always until the end of the age. So that's Matthew 24. Right at the end of Matthew 28, he's using that. There it is again. So if all of these things are, and he's ascended to the right hand of the Father, all power and authority, filling Daniel 7 13. And yet he's telling you, don't be deceived, keep watch, be alert. You're going to suffer. Some people are going to hate you. Some of you are going to die. You will be persecuted. Where is Jesus in all of this? Mm. Oh, I'm right there with you. Yeah. And there's Paul. There, you know, I grew right. up in the sufferings of Christ. Like, see, Paul got it. He, he understood. This is why he could say rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. But Paul, you're in chains. And I've read Tom Holland's book and some other books on uh, Roman prisons, and they're just not nice. Right. <laughs> Roman, Roman prisons are horrible, uh, just pits almost. Right. Paul is saying, Rejoice. This is momentary. Rejoice. What does he have in him? The Lord is with him. And I love in Luke uh, or in Acts where it says, And the Lord stood near him. Yes. Just, right. and I'm like, Man, that's, see, he's, he's in the presence of Christ. He's in Christ. Right. That's not a theological statement of a positional um, niceties that I can say. Yeah, we're in. You are in Christ, and Christ is in you, literally. Yes. Yeah. That's <laughs> it's amazing. Like, man, oh man, oh man. But Christ is at the right hand of the Father. This is where I think that the 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 persons of the Godhead spun out for Paul. It had to be the case. The son 
always was at work with the Spirit and the Father through the Son by the Spirit. These three were always at work from beginning and to end. And for Paul, it has this is the Godhead. Right. And he, I, I, you know, you read a lot of history of the Trinity and all. They say, well, it's Greek influence and all this. Um, no, it grew. It has to be the case. Jesus must be in union with the Logos, the Son of God, who is God. Right. And yet fully human. Right. And for Paul, it has to be, it has to be both. But I think Paul primarily focuses on the human Jesus of Nazareth, a human being, immortal body and soul, rational body and uh, or rational soul and, and, and body, immortal, impervious to death, in space at a locale, and, and he's at the right hand of the Father. Heaven has received him. So in that sense, he's not here present with us i go away i will not be with you any longer so what is all this language i won't be with you any longer but i'm with you always until the end. that's divinity right that's trinitarian stuff that's 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 a human being that's been created by god through which god is going to bring about resurrection and immortality yes prior to which since no one could be raised to immortality that could not be done right and the focus then for me, as I noted in the book, the focus for Paul is on the resurrection. But to get to resurrection, I've got to die. Right. This this has to die. Right. Literally right. has to die. Yes. I have yes. to be. In order to come into the full redemption and full adoption of sons, I have. This is how bad sin is. I have to die physically and be like transformed. And that's how bad it that's how bad it is. Because right. and that staggers my mind. It's like that's what Paul is saying. He's not talking about so much spiritual resurrections. He's he literally understands that death is the way to life. Right. Right. The, the wage of sin is death. And Jesus has left us in this um in Anglicanism, Anglican theology, they talk about cruciformity, a life of cruciformity. And that's that. When I came across that term years ago, I thought that's the that's a cruciformity. Take up your cross and we're dying. Why? Because uh, this isn't it. Right. It is it because it's going to be redeemed, but not in this life. Right. And, and, and if that, that it, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I was just going to say, and if that mentality was not ingrained in these early Christians. I mean, I, I read Polycarp, the martyrdom of Polycarp and all these, you go, how in the world can people act the way that they're acting at the, in the jaws of death? It's because they recognize Christ is with me and I'm entering life through this. This is a pathway to life, right? It's like, that's the only way. There's no other way to conceive of people giving their lives up so easily and so freely and with such joy, other than recognizing that they, they saw, they saw death as the the necessary path to life right necessary path i find this message in the old testament it's it's the same kind of message that they were understanding um living to a good old age and dying at a good old age they they didn't look at this as some you know and you read the psalms now i read the psalms and when i awake i'm there in your presence they were fully understanding uh, all of this and job job's the book of job is completely changed um job Joe basically is saying is if, if, is if this is it, this life is it and we die and then that's the end of that, then God is not just. Mm -hmm. There must be an afterlife and a resurrection 
because the wicked are prospering. In case you three witnesses haven't noticed, the righteous suffer and the wicked prosper. Yeah. And if they die and I die for suffering for righteousness, and we both go to the same pit and the same worm and the same hole in the ground and the same death, where's the justice? Yeah. There, what, what benefit is there in serving God? Right. right. And this is where he breaks into these resurrection passages um, yes. where he's, there must be resurrection. This is where his friends, I think, who don't believe in resurrection, I think they think he's out of his mind. Right. He's willing to go so far to be declared righteous because of his belief that God will raise him from the dead, but I will have my day in court with God. Right. And they think he's out of his mind. Right. And well, Job the, fact knows, that, the fact that Job Paul, right, right. Well, the fact that you read Paul and you read first Corinthians 15, where he declares, I mean, it is, I don't think people really recognize how jaw dropping a statement it is. If there's no resurrection, everything we're doing is in vain. Christ's death is in vain. Your faith is in vain. Everything is in vain. Like that's how significant that aspect of theology is to Paul. He recognized this is the crux of everything. I, I, I have to share that, you know, I, for, for a while, I I've been very post-millennial in my, in my eschatology and I still am, but my perspective on post-millennialism has kind of changed because to me, victory like we've just been talking about for Christians comes through martyrdom, comes through suffering, comes through picking up our cross and following Christ. And so to, to, to measure optimism in terms of, um, you know, political advance within nations or things like that, to me, you're, you're using a, a very worldly rubric to measure what progress and success in the gospel looks like. To me, Success is when you have people laying down their lives for Christ. That the gospel's advancing. That's the that's the gospel advancing. And so, I just I'm I'm I, I one of the first books I ever read, um, as a as a as an early Christian was uh, the Jesus Freaks book by DC Talk. Yeah, they they had all these different stories all throughout yeah. of all these different martyrs. And I remember just being blown away and, and really honestly confused. I finished the book and was just like, I can't, I can't get my brain around how these people had such faith. And now that I've been, you know, studying some of these themes, it, it's starting to click now, recognizing, especially with this, this ever-present parousia reality, you know, that's, that's where it is. It, it's, it's, it's hard for, for, for us um, and I try to imagine, I mean, I, I have a high imagination. I can picture things pretty clear. Um, and I try to imagine, you know, what persecution, because I've never, I've never experienced right. persecution before. I've been called names, sure. <laughs> which I don't care. You can call me anything you want. To. I don't. It, okay. Um, I'll call your names back. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> But to be to be persecuted and in America, see, this is where in the West in America, very difficult mentally to under to understand understand that. When you talk to people in, in other countries where it's just very, very, very hard to live daily. Um sometimes where the week you don't know where your meal's coming from. Right. I've never experienced that. I don't know what that looks like. And I know that that spoils. A lot of my what I'm trying to read, and then you, yeah, you read Polycarp Ignatius and all this, and you're like, man, 
And my only prayer is, is God, if I ever have to go through that, I pray you give me the strength Amen. to do it because I'm so conditioned towards comfort right. um, that, you know, uh, uh, people get bent out of shape on theological fighting and stuff like that on Facebook and all that. I, I don't do it. You know, you shouldn't be doing it. You have to keep in mind, this is why I recommend Dominion by Tom Holland. If mm-hmm. you ever get that book, because it's just, it is marvelous. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Roman, the Roman world was a brutal world. And it was a callous, very callous, brutal world. And so when Paul talks about not quarreling and things like that, he's, he's talking about fisticuffs, you know, right. like stuff you'd see on Jerry Springer. Sure. That's, that's what he's, but having a theological fight, um, I don't think he's ever, I don't, this is what he did. If you read Acts, he's going through. And I don't think Paul is, well, let's discuss this. Let's, let's under, no, he's probably saying, you, I'm, I'm telling you right now, this is what the scriptures say. It's right here in the, t-. I'm sure that's how Paul is doing it. Right. And uh, that's why he's upsetting a lot of the, like, get, get, this guy's got to go. He's, he's raising the temperature. Um, and I think we get conditioned to that too, where we want everything nice, and polite, and calm. It's just, you know, I'm like, no, no. Right. Um, I like the fight. I, I like, that's how I learn. And right. that's even changed, um, as a lot too, because Jesus, even Jesus got into some fight. Well, Matthew 23. Right. Yeah. Um, those aren't pretty words. No, not at all. That, 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 you read that in Greek and that's, whoo. Yeah. Man, um, yeah, I, if I was, I try to put myself in the Pharisees' shoes, you know, to, to understand these are the PhDs. These guys are not idiots. They're, these guys are very smart, yeah. um, fluent in Aramaic, Hebrew, I'm sure Greek, uh, fluent in what you and I have to study in college and read first century. We've got to, you know, read Jacob Neuster and all the Talmud and all this kind of stuff. We've got, these guys knew that. Yeah. Uh, uh, Paul knew Roman culture. I don't have to read about Roman culture. Paul, this, he ate, slept and breathed this stuff. And so that to come along and then to begin to put them down that way, that, that must've been a, you know, what a blow to them. Who are you? Who is this guy? Right. Um, and I, you can understand where he's setting it up, where God is setting it up so that they kill him. That's they, they do father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. Right. They're, but they're following your will. There's still a lot of stuff going on there. Yeah. But just, it, you know, I, I can't get past three scriptures anymore without just spending an hour or two. <laughs> just, There's yeah. a lot going on, yeah. on here. And Matthew 24 is one of those things. Uh, that and, and, and also the, the language we call it apocalyptic language right. you know, so that's fulfilled no see when Jesus says the, the stars will fall and that, that's a deep we say well that's symbolic for, that's never happened God has threatened this all along since Adam ate of the fruit God has threatened death immediate and then he always relents. He always, and for Paul, in times past, the patience of God. So what we've seen since Adam on to our own presence is 
the most incredible, unfathomable patience of God and the love of God for the world. Mm. It, it, see, this is where I'm at now because it boggles my mind because I'm thinking along those, along those terms of God always coming at Nineveh and 40 days I'm wiping you out. Okay, I'm not even there. Right. <laughs> and you see this all the time. Zephaniah, I'm wiping out everything on the face of the earth, every feature, every bird, every animal, every man, woman, child, it's all going to be destroyed, but I will regather you back into your land and I will pour out my spirit upon you. And I right. <laughs> so, like, right. so that to me is this day of the Lord that has not arrived. Mm. And Jesus is quoting, alluding to Isaiah 13 there, the stars and the and Joel. And he's he knows what they're asking. And as a preterist, I used to reduce that to symbolic language. And now I look at it and say, you can't, you can't reduce that creation destruction language. You can't reduce that to just a mere apocalyptic description of a, a town being destroyed. Mm. That that doesn't that doesn't work. And most scholars don't do that, by the way. Sure. Yeah. Um, so they they understand that that well Dead Sea Scrolls you you know spend years I you know, spent a lot of reading Dead Sea Scrolls and what they're doing there. Um, it's very clear that they understand end of the age meant a total rehaul transformation of when the glory of God as uh, as N T Wright would say you know sets everything right. Right. And so right. it's interesting because Pharisee is mentioned there in. Uh, in second peter three right yes again another little shade of turf usually say you know when they're not asking when they're asking where (laughs) where is this presence of of uh this parousia of mashua who with all power and glory and honor and might peter where everything goes on the way that has been going on from the creation until the present time everything is so and and you say Peter uh, that he has ascended to the right hand of God with the power and the angels and has gotten all power and and he's the ruler of the rod of iron and and he's at the right hand of God and 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 all of that and kiss the sun lest the wrath flare up quickly suddenly right. uh, you're saying all of that is right now so where 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 is it you see the, the, the right and then Peter says well. The reign of Yahweh and the flood and the destruction, these men deliberately forget that God brings about these destruction, but you don't see God. Right. You don't where did, you don't see him. And then he says, God is not willing to any should perish because of his patience. And I thought, well, that's it. Right. That's, that's, yeah. that's it. Because the it's it's almost as though all these passages that that we oftentimes just have the tendency to read as as predicting the second coming etc are really just apologetics for the divinity of christ you know yeah it's, it's, it's basically peter saying hey hey remember the flood and and yahweh yeah, yeah. jesus look behold behold god right um I, I if we could i want to get to uh two more uh main main things uh before we I'll wrap this up, but um, in 1 Corinthians 15, 
Paul talks about th- this order of resurrections, Christ, the first fruits, then those who belong to him. And it's typically translated at his coming. But you've proposed that perhaps a better way to translate it would be uh, in his presence, anatos parousia. And so I would love for you to just expound on the theological implications of that, because I, I just think that that's just absolutely beautiful. Well, it, it, and Paul consistently does this. Uh, he uses uh, there and with the, what I call a locative. I don't know if you're an eight case or a five case guy. <laughs> tend to be a, you know, an eight case guy or whatever, you know, so he's using, you know, the locative form or data form, however you say. Sure. And uh, then Christ in his presence, because that's where he sees it. So the Thessalonians does the same thing. Then we who are Christ, we who are alive and left behind in his presence. And so how does this take place? Well, if you're in his presence, that's that in Christ, Christ in you then the brightness of the coming of the light of the glory of God and the manifestation of his presence is going to be different for you in his presence already. There's Eucharist again. Here's church fellowship in his body, members of his right. body. All that language now applies because you're in his presence. I am with you always. Um, well, the, that's going to be different from you than someone over here who's not in his presence. Um not in that relational presence. And that's how it, that's how it reads to me. Instead of, and, and here's the thing. So you, you do your Greek, right? And I did Greek at 91, 92. And so you read the grammars, you go through all this. And then you come to passages like this and they translate it, you know, at his heresy. And it, and it breaks like every rule that you read. Mm. And, Every, there's a lot a lot of exceptions and i what i did was just throw out the exceptions i said no this is in his presence that's what it is and i i had the luxury of, of sitting under um bruce waltke for, for a year there mm-hmm. at reform theological seminary when he was in orlando and he of course worked on the new international version of the translation committee in the, in the old testament so he shared with us his notes and everything. And he said, always remember this. You never did get anything out of this class. Get this. Translation and interpretation go hand in hand. And right. never forget it. And I, that was the biggest thing. And he showed examples. Um, he said, because among us translators, because we're all Hebraists, but there's Anglican translators, there's Baptist translators, there's Pentecostal translators. And they're all wanting their little, you know. Take and you don't think this is going on, but it is. He said, but it is right Uh, because our doctrine is we don't want it. And with the fluidity of Greek, you can do a lot of things with Greek. Greek is more fluid than English. Right. And, you know, the other thing is, you know, Greek doesn't answer all of our problems. Sometimes it creates more problems because we're (laughs) how does he how does he use this? But to me, it's just beautiful. Um. Where he says, Christ the first fruits, then those who are of Christ in his presence. Man, that's beautiful. That is. Amen. That's not second coming language. That's what are you doing right now? Well, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in his presence now. So he's in me and I'm in him. And when I'm finished with this, I'm a couple of things I've got to do in the way I talk to my wife and my son and 
and hopefully conduct my business and stuff, just being aware the Lord is present. I notice when I get in trouble is when I'm, I forget that. Yeah. You know? That's, <laughs> That's right. That's I right. get off on my own. I'm like, oh, oh shoot. I'm in my class. So that, that to me conveys the idea of the present, what I call the presence of the presence. And Paul is not looking off into this far uh, disconnected kind of future thing, but he's, he's saying that we're participating in it now. And I believe that's why he uses present tense for death that's being destroyed. Sure. Uh, in commentaries, that's a puzzler. And then he even uses it for the dead who are being raised. That's a pot. People are like, how can he, why would he use a present passive indicative for the resurrection is a future thing way out there? And it is. However, <laughs> if the spirit of the Lord is at work in my life, all the way back to Abel, what that is, is you're participating in that which will be made manifest, but you're participating in it. Right. Yeah. Because you're in the one who has been raised. Right. And so Paul, again, he's so consumed with, with consummation and, and it's a done deal. It's, it's done. How do you know this? Because he's been raised from the dead and seated at the right hand of the Father. I, I love uh, Acts 17. Uh, he goes through the span of history that man would seek him and somehow find him and search after him uh, because he's not that far away from, from all. He's near. That's what I think near means. He's near. He's at hand. Right. And he is going to judge the world through a man. That's all that prophetic language, all that language, Hebrew, that Paul's bringing. He is going to judge the world, Zephaniah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, through a man. And he has given us assurance of this by raising him from the dead. It's like Paul had the hope, he believed it, but now that he knows that a human being has been raised from the dead at the right hand of the Father, King Jesus, son of David, it's like a stamp. It's mm. a it's done. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. The ends of the ages have come upon us. How long is that going to look at calendars? I don't know and I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> 2,000 years, who cares? I'm so enraptured in this right now. I'm in his presence. The ends of the ages have come upon us. The, the end, Paul, uh, Peter uses the perfect tense. The end of all things is, has come. It's at hand. Right. It's in that, not a preterist Spain, 70 AD. You're missing the point. They're saying this because Christ has been raised. It's a done, it's, it's guaranteed. Right, right. <laughs> and their faith is the substance of things hoped for, and they know this. And so I can live in this flesh. I'm still in this flesh. I've not been made alive, glorified. I still struggle, Romans 7, but I can now. Right. Even my struggles, I can take to him. Yeah. And I want to cry. Yeah. <laughs> Even my weaknesses of my flesh, my pride, my ego, my my misunderstandings, my failures, my not doing it right, my not thinking right, my uh, I I can take all that because mm. this will be transformed. Mm. This, this is transformed. This is being transformed. God is transformed. He's transformed me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that's so beautiful. Oh man. It, it just changes your whole life. And you're thinking, man, um, 
Do we have to tweak a couple of doctrines here and there, or maybe shade them up a little bit in light of all that? Yeah, sure. But that's the scholastic. I I have to say, I I, in all of this, uh, one of the areas of study that I that I really enjoy is uh, just soteriology, and um, I really have a deep appreciation for how the Orthodox Church approaches theosis. This idea of participation, right? Um, they have that, yeah. Because I think that we in the West tend to um, sometimes individualize salvation in such a way right, right, that we right, right. disconnect the reality that our justification is a sharing in the fa- in the justified one. Our resurrection is sharing in the resurrected one. Our glorification, et cetera, et cetera. These are realities that we experience in ourselves not because God has somehow, you know, given us something that's, you know, separate from Christ, but no, he's united us to the person and work, the presence of Christ. We're in Christ, he's in us. And therefore these things simply are, right? They, they, they are realities we are already sharing in, you know, and right. I, it's, it's just a beautiful thing to recognize that, you know, it's not, it's not as though God's, you know, given me a little bit of a share of Christ and then this person is, sh- no. I'm being caught up to the justified, glorified, resurrected one and sharing in those realities as God regenerates me, you know. I know I know we're over because we can talk on this. Yeah. This to me is what theology and, and why I've not, people say, you know, why aren't you teaching in a seminary or why aren't you doing that? If I, you know, I, I could, I'd have to move and stuff. I've been, I, I, I'm more interested in church because I, a, I, I love church. Mm. Um, but this is what theology is supposed to do. This, this is, I'm not coming to, to church to be at a social club. I can do that anywhere. And, but if I understand that when I sit in the pew and, and these other people are coming and they've got their kids and all that, that there's a dynamic, hidden dynamic of the spirit of the members of the body of the mystical body of Christ that's going on. And I don't even know the operation of the Holy Spirit that's going on in me, changing me in the slightest way that it is and all the causal and effects and the chain of, from, from here to 10 years from now because I'm sitting down with this guy that I particularly don't like the way he looks and I don't like the song over here and they're going to sing it again and I don't, <laughs> you know, right, right. but I'm participating in a much more mystical thing that the spirit is involved in right and by doing and understanding that i'm i'm not going to church i we got to get rid of those those phrases recently someone was asking me you know why don't you start a church and i said (laughs) gotta get rid of i'm not we don't start churches right the church has started right it's his flock. You notice in the New Testament, it never refers to the pastors, ever referred to as the, as their flock. Right. It's always my sheep, my flock. God, God being the speaker. It's, yes. This is God's enterprise. He's he's building the church. I'm not building the church. Right. He is. I'm the one being built. Right. right. I'm not building. I'm not starting. I'm not building. I'm not doing anything. Um, right. I'm letting him build. Me so now, when you see that, then church loses it, it because 
speaking of liturgy, just coming together in a gathering like that in a building, that's liturgy. That's that's the work of the people. Right. And the spirit is in that. He's doing something, even if you don't feel it, think it, know it, whatever. Uh, he's not your shepherd sometimes. The Lord is my shepherd 24-7. He never, he never stops. And that's that came out of what I was seeing here with Pharisee. I'm like, man, this is, he's at the right hand of the Father, but by the Spirit, he's with us. We're connected together. Church has now taken on a whole other meaning for me. Um, I don't love church because I love going. I love church because I, 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 I know what it is. And it's important to gather together. And today with COVID and shutting down churches and people are thinking it's non-essential. Right. And I'm like, my gosh, we've lost. We've lost so much as, as to what we're doing is just showing up, going to Sunday, looking good, showing up. Yeah, it's the church. If right. that's it for you, you can have it. Right. Uh, right. You can have it. That's just boring. I've got other things to do. Yeah. You know, social club kind of thing. Right. Yeah. I could go on and on about that. Yeah, no. Yeah, definitely. If you, if you, it's too, too many times we turn church into this thing where it's a bunch of spectators as opposed to a bunch of participants in something yeah. bigger than we right. are. Right. It's yeah. there to sit and watch the sermon go on and that's it. And nobody's doing anything. Right. But you read Corinthians, right. if anyone of you has a psalm, if any of you has a word of wisdom, does any of you have a... Right, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, what's, what's going, well, the dynamics of the spirit was moving. Right. But today we're, you go to church, people are just afraid to say, oh, how's things going? Oh, good, good. Yeah, we're moving on, yeah. Or worse, we're, we're normalizing well, live streaming and thinking that that's a, you know... That we can we can replace gathering together. Um, anyway, yeah. well, do do you have time for one more brief topic? We'll try to cram oh, it into a short time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, for the life of me, I I really wrestle with Second Thessalonians two. I think oh, a lot wow. of people do. I think it's a very challenging passage. We could probably spend an entire episode talking about it, but um, in brief, what do you think's going on there? I'm working on a, it's been a year gathering uh, material, trying to find every journal, theological paper, just trying to locate um, as much as I can amass right now. Uh, there's several commentaries. Uh, number one, the, uh, the consensus of, of academia um, you know, Scott, you know, that doesn't even believe that Paul wrote Second Thessalonians mm -hmm. because it's 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 of such a different nature. Sure. Uh, Paul nowhere else talks about anything like this at all. And here he's don't you know, I used to be with you and talking. Um, it's it is apocalyptic. Right. It's it's Daniel 11. You know, he's, he's bringing that element in. He's bringing a lot of elements in. He's bringing a lot of Psalm. Uh, it sounds like a lot of Dead Sea Scroll kind of stuff too going on. That's yeah. <laughs> like, man, where is he? Uh... So there's a lot of source working. So every every commentary you come to and read, they'll all say this is probably the most notoriously difficult passage of Scripture of Paul. Yeah. Um, and whether you're Reformed or, or Anglican or 
uh, you know, typical evangelical scholar, uh, Douglas Moo or whoever, um, they all say the same thing. This, this is a difficult passage of, of scripture. And the Greek is, doesn't make it, it is not even, doesn't make it better. The syntax is not right, better. Right. So that right there sets off a, a thing to me to like, well, maybe we've been exploring this wrong. Maybe we need to come at over here. And there's a few other clues, uh, cues that I got from some other uh, Leon Morris's commentary and a few others. Um, and using using that and saying, well, what if Paul? What if what if what he's saying is that the the the, the deception he's wanting them to avoid is that these things have to happen before the presence of the Lord. Mm. Because Leon Morris points out that Paul does preach that the presence of the Lord is at hand. He uses this language. So how in the, why in the world would he be countering that here? That's one of those problems that arises. Right. The, the, uh, the more technical commentaries uh, note that. And then some of, the, some of the brightest minds just throw their hands up here and say, oh, Paul didn't like you know, this is confusing. This, you know, make no. So I'm thinking he's coming at it uh, from the standpoint that these things are in place. Lawlessness is at work. He is present. Don't be alarmed about these kinds of things. And he's embodying the man of lawlessness and then uses the plural like John does for the Antichrist. And then he'll say many Antichrist. We know that Jewish literature is notorious doing this for personifying in a single a whole body of people and they'll personify the wicked man uh the the man of sin that's just simple man it's just simple simple people right um that's going on that's been noted in some commentaries uh, some roman catholic commentaries are seeing that like he's not paul's not saying that he's expecting this singular man of sin of globality that you have in like uh, what Tim LaHaye and all that sure, kind of stuff. Yeah. That's not going on. Most scholars would agree with that, but that's not, that's not going on. So Paul's probably personifying. Um, and then saying, this is already at work. And then his quoting Daniel 11, which is fulfilled already. That's Antiochus Epiphany. I think he's bringing in that language to note that this is already, this has been done. So let nobody deceive you saying, this has to happen, and then this has to happen before the manifestation of Messiah. Uh, these things are already at work, and we know this. And about days and seasons, brothers, I have no need to write to you about these things because we know that the thief comes as a thief in the knife, but you are of the day, you are already walking in the day, so that it will not catch you like it will. And I'm like, well, that's Matthew 24. Right. <laughs> so that's what I'm trying to, to to tie in some different angles of looking at. And again, I hate it. I'm in a minority again. Sure. Yeah. And but it I just think maybe we're looking at this um wrong. And what Paul is telling them is like Jesus, and I write this in the book. I think Matthew is destroying the apocalypse movements, these apocalypses. I think on one fell swoop, don't pay attention to the, these apocalypses, these dated calendar times and dates, times and seasons. Don't read these things uh, as pointing to 
a checklist of what's going to happen and then you'll know. I'm telling you, you don't know. You will not know. Here's the focus. Obey me. Love your neighbor. Love God. Work among each other. Suffer with one another. Cling to one another. That's what you're to focus on. Because the, 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 the 95% majority of Paul's stuff is moral and ethical and, and covenant living. That's, that's the thrust of the stuff. That's why 2 Thessalonians is such a weird oddball kind of thing right because it seems to just go against everything um that that he's saying that you can just check off a list and then we'll know he's just right around the corner now so you can kind of live a little lax right but when you start seeing these things perk up yeah right <laughs> and Got that it. just can't be right you know it's just it's like because jesus is clearly destroying that hmm. And, and he and he right. focuses then on this personal coming. Matthew does a really cool thing there where he, it seems like he's got this universal kind of thing going on. And then he talks about a personal thing. Right. Because Jesus comes to you personally at death. Hmm. So whether the end or whether your end, whichever comes first, hmm. will the son of man find you faithful? Yeah. So the emphasis is not on, do I know my own end or do I know the end, but do I know what I'm doing right now? Yeah. The uh, focus is on that, not on eschatology, not on, not on any, because I think Jesus is telling them, don't, don't run after these things. Don't run after if someone's saying it's near, it's near. Don't run after them. Don't hmm. listen to it's over here. It's over here. You know where I'm at. And you know that no man knows. And so I think what he's doing in that time that was so infested with this kind of stuff is he's destroying it to get back to the focus on what are you supposed to be doing right now? And I think Second Thessalonians is doing just that because he goes right after he says all that, he goes right back into ethics and how you're to behave. Don't be as drunk. Don't be drunk at night. Don't crowd. Don't hang around. Don't do all that kind of stuff. You, know, you have no excuse um, to to be crowling in the night and all this kind of stuff. So he, it's it's like, can we move beyond this and stop talking about this? You know, because we don't. If it's unfulfilled, then you have to have a temple, right? You got this is the whole dispensationalist thing, right? It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy because you've got people over there right now that's wanting to destroy the dome on the rock there. This is dangerous stuff. Yeah. You know? Right, right. <laughs> this is dangerous stuff here. And I think Paul is like, don't be, we're not involved in this. Don't, hmm. don't get off into all this stuff. And that's really set me free from a lot of that. You grow up dispensationals. Right. Um, you're just consumed with what's going on in Jerusalem. Right, right, yeah. And I'm not anymore. I'm just like no. that's a pagan. It's the the <laughs> next, and that's not to dismiss uh, those of the Jewish faith that come to see Jesus as Messiah today in the present. That's going to continue all the way out nine Romans nine through eleven. I think the next thing that Paul sees on the on the horizon is life from the dead, resurrection of the dead. Right. That's the next. Israel has been scattered among the nations. And if you read Deuteronomy 4, while they're among the nations, the nations will come in. And yeah. so he's 
so that the riches comes to the nations? Does this mean Israel has been cut off? Does the war coming with the Romans, does that mean God has cast up? By no means, no. They're enemies on your account, but according to election, they're here. Well, how long is that going to go on? How long do I have to pay family relationship with, with my Jews, my brothers, my Jews? Well, until the last day. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you read your Hebrew Bible, don't you? Thank God for the Jews because they preserved all that. Right. Um, and there's a closer affinity now in scholarship that you've noticed that we've noted, you know, we're, we're really appreciating a Jewish perspective on, on new texts, quite unlike uh, Calvin or Luther or any right. of these guys had, they just did not have access to this, uh, this stuff. So even Calvin has to be reread. Right. Uh, so does Luther. Luther's tractate on Judaism is that one against the Jews. Worst thing in the world. Horrible. Yeah. Horrible. It's awful. Just yeah. Horrible. Um, it's anti-Semitic. Yeah. I don't know any other word to use for it. And there was there's things that Calvin said that's anti-Semitic. It's, it's horrible. It's just it wouldn't pass muster in any church today. Yeah. And so these things have to be reread. And I know that that uh, I love <laughs> I you know read John Calvin. I'm a big fan. Um. But he's just a human being. That's it. Yeah. And he's not inerrant. Right. Uh, as brilliant as he was, he made mistakes, as we all do. Yes. I no longer, you know, look up these, you know, put these guys on pedestals anymore. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that that's, that's, you know, something going on. And again, I could be wrong. Just, I'm just right now, I'm gathering. There's a few, I won't mention that, but there's a couple that kind of, See that that's they're not willing to throw out this second Thessalonians. Sure. And I'm not, I'm not at all. Yeah. Um, Paul wrote Second Thessalonians. But they're seeing some problems, like, yeah, maybe we could flip that a little bit. Maybe Paul is is uh he's doing something that we don't think he's we, we're not reading him right there. That's what's creating the problems, is we're not reading him right. Hmm. And so I'm willing to explore that. I know that drives people insane and that I've lost faith in jesus christ and i'm no longer in the church and mm. i'm now a god hater i get all that grow up this is scholarship this is academia it's what we do yeah <laughs> you know, that's that's fascinating that, that, that really is fascinating though because it, it it does the parallel that you drew between matthew and yeah, yeah, Thessalonians. Yeah. it would be odd for jesus i was always struck of that day and hour no one knows and you're like okay so what do i look for be faithful <laughs> He, he like stops answering, be faithful. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know when I'm going to come to you. Be faithful. And I love Mark's account where he says, and what I say to you, I say to all, right? Be faithful. Yes, yeah. And so you, if, if deliberately if, written for generations, however right. long the Lord is going to last, Paul is right. certainly envisioning he writes about generations. To right. come. So it so, would be odd to then come to the second Thessalonians and have Paul say, okay, forget all that. Here's the things you have to look for before the end, right? It, it just, yeah, that's interesting. That's why scholars have, a lot of them have thrown it out and said, it's just right. not Paul, it's probably uh, Apollos or somebody, you know, that was linked up with Paul and and it's just not, it's just not Paul. Yeah. I think that it is, but I think we're reading it wrong. So sure. Well, I'll definitely be interested to follow your uh, continued study on, yeah. that, on that passage. Yeah. 
Um, as, as we wrap up again, just thank you so much. This has been a, a delightful conversation. Um, oh, it's my, all my pleasure to meet you for the first time. Yeah. Uh, and that you're Anglican. That's wonderful. Yes. That's- yes. So, um, do you, maybe as kind of just to close this with maybe a pastoral note, how should we as the church live in light of this reality of Christ's parousia? Well, it, with the politics and the COVID and, the, and the, just a lot of deaths and a lot of just, uh, for me, I sink back into the scriptures, the Old Testament particularly, and understanding that God uh, is ruling and reigning through the man, Christ Jesus, who is on the clouds of heaven. Do not be in Jesus in light of this. Don't be anxious for tomorrow. If you're mine, I will. you're going to be taken care of. I, I, I understand when sickness and, and death has come my way in the last five years, very close, my mom or my dad and my sister uh, and my cousin and my aunt, very, very close. I'm a very close family. And so the last couple of years has just been really crazy as far as losing um, very close mm. people. And having, having this kind of an understanding, this is temporary. This is, this is temporary. This is working a glory that is that I'm not participating in yet. And so persevere, persevere, persevere. And that's the message of Hebrews yeah. is, is persevere. It doesn't make all, it, it all doesn't make any sense uh, any more than you read the Psalms where clearly David is saying, none of this makes any sense. Yeah. Why aren't you with your people? Why is this going on? <laughs> yeah. Well, we know that Christ has been risen from the dead. He is at the right hand of the father because I can't see him. So I know where he's at. That's a proof to me. The fact that I can't see him, I know where he's at. And so if that's the case, then my faith is in, is, is strengthened. It's, it's, this does have meaning. Uh, my going to church and putting up and you putting up with me, I'm not the easiest guy to get along with by any stretch. Ask my wife. <laughs> She'd say, that's not true. You're easy to go. But that's, that's the, you know, it's, it's finding that vision of him at the right hand. And I imagine too, I actually picture, and I noticed that you have the uh, icon on the back wall there. I have one on my door, the exact um, pentocrator there, the Mm. almighty trilogy. And I look at that and that reminds, it's like, yeah, yeah, you're, you're a ruling when I think that all is uh, your, and that's not just wishful thinking. It's, I like where Paul says, he has assured us of this because he's risen him from the dead. Yes. So I have assurance, not in my uh, abilities, not in, I'm, I don't have assurance in, in me. I have assurance in him. Yes. My assurance is in him um, that he is going to bring me this wretch, he's going to bring me along mm. because he's, 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 I have faith. I believe, I, I believe these things right. and it's his work and, and faith in me. It's not an intellectual exercise. Right. Right. Uh, anybody can do that. You can just go to school and that. Right. 
So it's it's a life. And if that's if that's going on in you, uh, read the end of Romans eight. Hmm. Because that's it. That's <laughs> Paul is living in at the end of Romans eight. He's living right there. That that whole if he is for us, who can be against see, you know, if God's neither death nor life, age to come, age is past. Uh, above, below, nothing. See, he is so confident. He is so filled up with that, that truth, that theology, and he's eating, sleeping, and, and breathing this stuff. And so that's that's what I would encourage uh, pastors. Just uh, think about these things. Talk about these things when you get up in the morning. Talk to talk about them. Heaven, the new heavens, and new earth. What will it be like in the new heavens, and new earth? I talk about that with my wife a lot. She loves it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Do you think that we'll be like able to go and say, oh, yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> I don't know, but why not? I mean, it's because right. it's 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 imaginative and fun. It's like, yeah, yeah, that will be neat, you know, and seeing Jesus and talking to one another, and it'll be like this. I mean, we're not going to be alien, right? We'll be human beings, new heavens and new earth, yeah. and of course, in trees and animals and cloud, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I, I love it. I, Beautiful. Good stuff. Yeah. It keeps me going. I get excited about it. Like, yeah, yeah, let's go to church. Yes. And, that, <laughs> and that's a foretaste, right? We go to church. And yeah, yeah. That's of that reality. That's, yeah, right. beautiful. Well, brother, thank you so much for, for having this conversation. This was absolutely wonderful. And for those watching or listening, um, again, uh, Sam's book is The Parasy of the Son of Man um, and also Daniel Unplugged, which is a commentary on the book of Daniel. I'll have those both linked down below. Um, and with that, yeah, thank you so much thank for you. coming on. Appreciate it.